If you have your Bibles, if you could open to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I'm going to give an introduction first and ask, some, ask you some questions before we get there, but you could have it ready. Today's sermon is part five in our ser- sermon series called Counseling the Word, Gospel Truths for the Journey of Faith. Some common points, if you've been thinking, if you think about the sermons that have been pre- preached so far regarding the series, some common points you might have heard are these. We no longer live for ourselves, we choose to live for Christ. Instead of choosing to live our own ways, we choose to follow God's ways. Second Corinthians 5.17, Pastor Victor uh, preached on this passage. Therefore, if in, anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And already in the scripture passage today that uh, Kenny read earlier, uh, there's one verse in there in Romans 8.5. We have a verse that sort of um, stays with this theme. Romans 8.5 says this. Those who live according to sinful nature, the flesh, have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What Romans 8, 5 uh, might look like is this. I want you to picture this with me, okay? Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed on the front of this pulpit there is a cross engraved, okay? Some of us might have been sitting here for a while and not really noticed that before, but there's a cross engraved on the front of this pulpit. Um, So if you think of that cross as representing, of course, we think of Jesus dying on the cross, so coming to Jesus, the cross representing coming to Jesus. And imagine um, on on this side, it represents what it talks about in in Romans 8, 5, of our hearts living in the flesh, our hearts living living in the flesh, on sinful nature, living for ourselves, choosing our own ways, doing our own things. So living in the flesh, sinful nature, living for ourselves. We come to the cross, and imagine on this side, it's like our hearts are choosing to live for the Lord, setting our hearts and minds on what the Holy Spirit desires, as it says in Romans uh, 8.5. So living in the flesh, coming to the Lord, living by the Spirit. Okay, I'd like to ask you three questions that I want you to think about. You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to tell the person next to you. You can just sort of think of it on your own, uh, what your answer might be. Question one is this. If you're a Christian, when did you become a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're a Christian, when did you become a follower of Jesus Christ? And question two, if you're not yet a Christian... What are some questions that you have that you want to resolve first before taking that step to become a Christian? And before I ask question three, let me just say this. If you're a Christian, one of the things we know is that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for all our sin and shame. So we come to Jesus, believe who he is, what he did, confess our faith in him, and receive him as our Lord and Savior. He forgives us of our sin and shame. That leads to life of being his follower, his disciple. And hopefully during that process, we're growing in our relationship with the Lord. We're living life with him, uh, and we're choosing to follow God and his ways. In 1 Peter 2, verse 24, it says this about speaking about Jesus, that 
that he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Yet, being human and still living in a fallen world, we still might struggle with areas of our lives where we do things that we know aren't pleasing to the Lord. In, in other words, we still sin. It's like our salvation with the Lord is secure and sure, but we don't always live like the Lord wants us to live. Hopefully, we try our best, we get help from the Holy Spirit, and uh, hopefully, we see some progress and victories in our lives in different areas of sin in our life. Okay, maybe it's like what Romans uh, eight five says: though we live according, though we are though we are to live according to the Spirit, like on this side, there are times when we still live according to the flesh, our sinful nature on this side. Our salvation with the Lord is secure. He died for all our sins. But it's like having, it's like having, when he died for all our sins, it's like having, he takes all our sins. Like, say it's like in a big bag or backpack and he nails it to the cross. Yet, it's like, as we struggle with this side of of living in the flesh, our sinful nature, maybe it's like, almost like we're picking up another bag. We're picking up another bag of our old ways that we're still holding on to or maybe some new sins that we, we start getting caught up in. And we start living in our fleshly desires and our sins. So my third question to us is this. What do we do when we sin? What do we do when we do things that we know aren't pleasing to the Lord? Okay, I don't know about you, but even after I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, there's been times when I know that I haven't been living in a way that's pleasing to God. Even now I have to deal with different sins in my life, whether an attitude or action or thoughts or words. I know that I don't always live a life that is pleasing to God. I still sin. How about you? How do you deal with the areas of struggles and sins in your lives? What do you do when you do something that you know is not pleasing to God? In other words, what do you do when you sin? Okay, maybe one thing we might do, maybe we have this conviction in our minds and our hearts within us that what we thought, did, or said was sin. It wasn't right with God. So we come to the Lord And we confess those things to him. Thank God that we have passages in the Bible like 1 John 1, 9 about confession and forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or maybe instead of doing confessing things to the Lord, or maybe we think, well, nobody saw what I did. Nobody knows what I was thinking. Or... Well, it's just a little sin. So we just try to ignore it. We don't confess it, and we still live with that sin. And maybe we just start getting caught up in it again as well, even though we know it's not pleasing to the Lord. Or maybe we think, nobody was hurt by it, so it's okay. I don't have to do anything about it. Or maybe we try to rationalize our sinful actions. We try to rationalize our sinful actions, whether thoughts, deeds, or words, by saying things like this. Well everybody's doing it. Or, I'm just a guy, and that's just the way guys are. Or, that's just the way I was born. Yet, knowing that if we ask God about this particular area of our lives, and we looked at his word, at what he says about it, we'd see that in his eyes, it was a sin, and that he would want us to confess it to him. Or, this is another scenario that might happen to us. Or maybe spirits of darkness, the demonic, demons, might hurl accusations at us and speak lies to us. 
Maybe he's saying something like this to us. Maybe the demonic might be saying, like, God is tired of you forgive God is tired of forgiving you for the same sin. So why don't you just give up and stop asking him to forgive you? Or maybe the demonic puts it more puts more condemnation uh, on us with words like, You failure, you messed up again. How can you call yourself a Christian? Why don't you just stop being a Christian? For these last points regarding spiritual darkness accusing us, trying to put condemnation on us, let me just say this. Reject the lies of the demonic. Reject the lies of the demonic. And as the series is about, counsel the word of God to yourself and believe the truths found in the word of God and what God's truth says about confession and forgiveness and who we are according to him. Remember what Kenny read earlier and as what Jeremy was praying about and talking about Romans 8.1 where it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who in, are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, let's look at our passage today to see what we can do when something that is not pleasing to God, what we can do about that when we sin. The title of today's sermon is called A Prayer of confession and renewal. And the main point, for those of you that have the app, there's a main point printed in there as well. It says, A confession prayer doesn't end with confession and forgiveness. It includes a desire to be changed by God and continues with renewal. Again, let me read that again. A confession prayer doesn't end with confession and forgiveness. It includes a desire to be changed by God and continues with renewal. Before I read Psalm 51, I'm going to read, actually, there's 19 verses, but I'm going to read the first 17 verses. So as Kenny read uh, Romans 8, 1 through 17, I'm going to read Psalm 51, 1 through 17 as well. Uh, I'm going to tell you a true story before I read that. Um, There was this guy who was uh, from a pretty humble background. His job wasn't very glamorous. He had a lot of brothers. And this guy had a heart for God, and, uh, he began, and God began to amuse him mightily. God moved him up in position and stature until this guy became the head person amongst his people. This guy is King David. But then one day, when King David should have, about, should have been out doing his job and leading the men he was overseeing in battle, he sent others out instead to do the job, and he stayed at home. Then one night, as he was walking on the roof of his house, he looked out and he saw a woman bathing. He found out that this woman named Bathsheba was married. She was married to one of David's soldiers. But still, since David was a man with power and he wanted to have his own way, he sent for her, had sex with her, and got her pregnant. So what did David do? Did he acknowledge his sinful actions and repent? Did he confess what he did to God as being wrong and turn back to following God? Okay, no. He tried to cover up his, sin, his sinful actions. David sent for Bathsheba's husband from the front lines, from the battlefield. And David tried to manipulate uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, twice to go to his home uh, and have sex with his wife. He was hoping that Uriah would have sex with his wife, that then they could say that, well, Bathsheba got uh, pregnant by her husband. But Uriah was a loyal soldier, And so he didn't do that. He just stayed at the house where David was. Long story short that you can read in more detail from 2 Samuel 11. David has Uriah sent to the heat of battle where 
so that Uriah would be killed, and he was. When Uriah's wife Bathsheba heard of her husband, husband's death, she had a time of mourning, which I read about was, they, they said it was only seven days. When that time was over, David brought Bathsheba to his house, and she became his wife. Then after a few months, she gave birth to their son. What do you think David thought? What do you think David thought at this point in time? Maybe David thought, I got away with that one. Now people will think that Bathsheba got pregnant right after we got married. I got what I wanted. Nobody knows really what I did. Uh, Though maybe David thought he got away with his actions, but God had his plans for dealing with David and this particular incident with David's sin. Sin of adultery with Bathsheba and having her, son, her, her husband, Uriah, killed. So the Lord sends Nathan the prophet to confront David about these sins. And after Nathan the prophet confronts David with his sinful actions, David knows that he's been found out. He didn't get away with his plans. So what does David do? Okay, I'm going to read 2 Samuel 12, 13. Chapter, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, where it says this. It says, Then David sent to... So then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. So David confesses and repents, and the Lord forgives him. Though David, though God forgives David, though God forgives David, if you read of this incident in 2 Samuel 12, there are still consequences that David has to go through for his actions. This is important in the background of our passage in Psalm 51 because the beginning of Psalm 51 before verse 1, it says this. It says, For the choir director, so someone's going to lead people in singing, for the choir director, a psalm or song of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Though the situation for the psalm was a very personal one for David, we see that this is a psalm, a song that was meant to be sung by a congregation. So it wasn't just for David, but it was for this people. So this song was also meant to be a reminder for the people singing to consider and confess their own sins as well as they're going through this, this song. In some ways, we might look at Psalm 51 like a prayer guide and approaching God as we come to him with our sin. And as, I'm, as I read Psalm 51, I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. Listen to how the song of David, that sung by our congregation, can be a guide to pray for confession and renewal. So if you please stand if you're able. I'm going to read Psalm 51, verses 1 through 17. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 17. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. 
Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the, bro- let the bones which ye have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Okay, please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you um, for what it says here about you and about forgiveness and about renewing a relationship with you. We ask, Lord... Lord, I pray that you will, that this message will be clear. Lord, that you'll speak to us through the words in Psalm 51 um, so that we can be the people of God that you call us to be. We commit this time to you. Be glorified to you. We be glorified, God. We, we ask that we be drawn closer to you as well through this time. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat, please. In my version of the Bible, the New American Standard, 1995 edition, it says, it says at the top, right um, before, the ti- uh, before Psalm 51. Now, so I know, know that not all uh, Bibles have this title, but mine says, A Contrite Sinner's Prayer for Pardon. So Psalm 51 was David's song, and the, person, the prayer of a person who is sincerely remorseful of what they've done. What can we learn from the psalm as a prayer of confession and renewal? As I was praying and thinking about what to share with you today regarding Psalm 51, um, this thought came to mind that maybe we should go through it like it's a prayer guide. Let's go through it like a prayer guide that can sort of like form our prayers, help us to be able to know how to pray when we're dealing with areas of like confession and repentance and renewing our relationship with God. I know this is something that some of you might be doing already. I know someone I know right before communion will read Psalm 51 in a way to prepare themselves for for communion. So, you know, so take communion rightly. Maybe this is a psalm that we can look at as well to prepare ourselves for something like that. So we're going to do that today. We're going to go through this as our prayer, but it'll be our prayer with commentary, okay? So as we look, we'll look at the meaning of verses. We'll look at some other points and illustrations as well. Sort of like uh, when you buy a DVD or a Blu-ray. Um, I don't know. How many of you look at bonus features? Okay, I like, I like looking at bonus features. There's one bonus feature that they call like director's cut, okay, where you can watch the movie and at the same time the director or writer or producer or maybe an actor that's in it will give their comments as they're going through it. And so they'll give their comments throughout the movie. So maybe it's a little annoying because, you know, they want to, you want to just watch the movie, but it's insightful sometimes to find out what the directors were thinking or the writers as they're, as they're making a particular scene. So anyway, for us... Um, we're going to have prayer with commentary. Okay, let's look at our points and, and see how these points can lead us in, our, in, a, in a prayer of confession 
and renewal to God. Okay, point one uh, is turn to God and acknowledge who he is, his character. Turn to God and acknowledge who he is, his character. Okay, verses one and two. Verses one and two say this. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, why would David turn to God after he committed adultery and had, had a man killed? Okay, well, for one, he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, so he had to deal with it, okay? But maybe David also felt the physical, mental, and emotional effects of carrying the weight of sin on him, like, he, like David wrote about in Psalm 32, verses 3 to 4. If you look at Psalm 32, verses 3 to 4, it says this. When I kept silent about my sin... My body, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained as with the fever heat of summer. So he might have felt those kind of effects. The fever heat of summer. We know what hot and humidity has been like for a while. But also, it's like he said, his body wasted away. His groaning. These things weighed upon him. God's hand was heavy upon him. So wouldn't David be concerned that God would be angry with him and do something terrible to him to punish him for his sins? Okay, no. So like, I think Pastor Jeremy mentioned this earlier too, that David knew something about God. Maybe we know something about God, that there's something about him that we can come to him even in the midst of having committed these different sins. David knew something about God in his character. David knew that God is gracious, as we saw in verse 1. Other translations use the word merciful. Be merciful to me, O God. David knew that God is loving. The Hebrew word for this love is hesed. Uh, hesed is, a, uh, is, is described as a loyal love, a promise-keeping, loyalty. It's committed, enduring love. David also knew that David, I mean, David also knew that God is compassionate. And so, okay, so we're going to spend some time here. Keep your eyes open. We're going to, so sort of like we read through this passage now, how can we make it into our prayer? How can we make it into our prayer? So I'm going to write down, I'm going to read this prayer that I wrote down, but I want you to look at the passage and, and on your own, later on, on your own, you know, whether it's this passage or other passages, you can pray through the scriptures, use the scriptures to guide you as you pray. Okay, so Say we're going to pray verses 1 and 2. So maybe this is the prayer that I thought about after looking at verses 1 and 2. So look at your text and your scripture. So maybe we'll pray something like this. Maybe it's like, Father God, I come to you. I come to you with some burdens, sins that are weighing upon me. I come to you, God, knowing that you, God, are gracious and merciful, that you have a loyal love, a promise-keeping, committed, enduring love for your people, including me. Lord, I know you are full of compassion. Okay, so that's verses 1 and 2. Maybe that can be our prayer. You could probably say your prayer in your own way for verses 1 and 2. So David understands who God is, his character. His character. Uh, what else do we see in verses, uh, the first two verses? David understands that it is only God who is able to cleanse him of his sin. David wants a full washing and cleansing of his sins that they be blotted out completely. Okay, I thought of this example. 
Say, for example, your car, you know, it sits outside, it got dirty, um, and you want to get it cleaned. Okay, maybe at, at one point in time when we had those rains that when it rained for days and days, we, we leave our car out and it washes it pretty well. Even with a lot of rain, maybe it washes it pretty well. But if you look at it, um, maybe there's some, still some spots on the side that the rain didn't quite get to. Okay, David's saying, we don't want that kind of, of, of cleansing. We don't want just partial cleansing. We want full cleansing. So it's like instead of waiting for the rain to wash your car clean, we're taking our car to the car wash to get it detailed. Where they're going to wash the inside, they're going to clean the outside completely. And so we want that kind of, of cleansing from the Lord regarding our sins. So say we take the, those verses, two verses again, and let's continue our prayer. Again, keep your eyes open, look at the text. Maybe we say something like this for this part of the passage. Heavenly Father, as David prayed, I ask you also, please blot out completely Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me of my sins. Like a detailed car wash, please clean the inside and outside of me. Okay, you can think of your own prayer that you'd like to pray for that section. Okay, second point. Acknowledge that I've done something that's not pleasing to God. Acknowledge that I've sinned, that I need God's help. Okay, verse 3. It says, For I know my, transgression, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. The beginning of that verse, I know my transgressions. There's an emphasis on I. It's like saying, I myself know. This is to show that David not only knows, he really knows, no doubt, he's fully aware of the sins that he's committed. I know for sure, God. I know, I really know. And then the second part of that, verse 3 says, in my sin is ever before me. It's like David can't get the sin out of his mind. It's playing in his head. It's like it weighs on him like we read about in the earlier, uh, in the earlier psalm. It's like carrying, a large, it's like carrying around a, a large backpack with our sins in it because we haven't confessed these things before the Lord. And we're just carrying it and it's weighing upon us as we carry these things as we don't confess them to the Lord. So let's take that section. Let's take verse 3 and use it as our prayer. Again, look at your, don't close your eyes, look at your verse 3. Okay, maybe we say a prayer like this. Lord God, I know, I really know, I'm fully aware that what I've done is not right in your sight. Lord, I confess my sin of, and you could fill in the blank at that point in time. Lord, I, Lord the thought of the sin that I've done is always with me. It weighs on me. I can't get rid of it uh, without you and your help. Okay, point three. Seeing sin from God's point of view, verses four to six. Okay, sin, seeing sin from God's point of view, verses four through six. Verse four, the beginning of verse four says this. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Again, just like the other one where the focus was on I, this time, against you, you only, the two U's, I was going to say the double U's, the Y-O-U, uh, show an emphasis on you referring to God. Against you, you, God, I have sinned. So David knows who he had sinned against. David realized that even though he had wronged and had, did wrong against Bathsheba and Uriah, his ultimate sin was against God. Though David might have thought he had gotten away with what he did with Bathsheba and, and Uriah, he came to realize that God knew what happened. The Lord knew what happened. And that it hurt. 
uh, David's relationship with the Lord. The second part of verse 4 says this, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Sin affects the way we see things. In sin, we don't see things correctly. We see through the wrong set of lenses. We're seeing things through this, this side, the sinful nature, the flesh, instead of seeing things through the Lord's eyes. In a sense, David is saying um, in, verse, in this second part of verse 4, God, you are God, and I am not. You, God, are the one who determines what is right or wrong, not me. Okay, verse 5 says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This is understanding that we cannot use it as an excuse for a sinful behavior that, well, I was just born that way. Or that's just, thing, that's just being a guy. It's just a guy thing. You know, we can't use that as an excuse. If anything, if we think about what Kenny read in Romans 8, um, and we think about Romans 8, 5, uh, it talks about we're choosing between, uh, this verse is saying that we're born with a sinful nature, the sinful nature like on this side. We need to come to the cross and live by the Spirit. So we're born with a sinful nature. And we need to choose between uh, living according to the sinful nature, like here, or living through the cross, and living rightly according to the Spirit, like on this side. But why do we sin? Why do we sin? Well, in a lot of ways, we want to do our our own thing. We want to do our own way. We We want to be God of our own lives and do what pleases us, as, as opposed to what pleases the Lord God. We don't consider the effects of, of sin having on our lives um, and, and how, it affects not all, it, how it affects our relationship with the Lord. Okay, um, I was thinking of this example. Say we're tempted by sin. There's a sin that's tempting us, something we're, we're tempted to do. Um, say it's like here, in a bag, in a backpack or something. We're tempted to sin. You know, sometimes we're tempted to sin, we just grab it, we keep it, we ponder it, and then we get involved in it, we sin, it's, we wear it, you know, it gets heavy on us before we confess it. But sometimes when we think about sin, it's like it's sitting there, we're tempted, and we don't think about, I don't know about you, I don't always think about how is this affecting my relationship with God? Okay, not only how am I dealing with this thing, doing this thing that, that God wouldn't be pleased with, but how is, how is this affecting my relationship with God? So maybe when we're tempted, Maybe we pick it up at first and think, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is leading me into doing something that's not right. Drop it. For me, if I think of it that way, it's a little bit easier to think about dealing with something. Here's a sin. Okay, I'm tempted. I pick it up. Okay, I know this is not good. It's going to hurt my relationship with God. Drop it before I start pondering on it, before I start thinking about it, before I get caught up in sin where I need to confess something to God or start going on the wrong path in my relationship with God. So, Think of sin not just as something, doing something wrong against God, but to see it also as affecting our relationship with God in a negative way. Just as we don't want to do anything to hurt relationships with our family and friends, think of it too as not wanting to hurt our relationship uh, with the Lord God. Okay, verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. So God is seeking a person whose external profession of faith and actions is consistent with the inner reality that what's going on in the person's life. So is our inner life consistent with our outer life? Is our outer life consistent with our inner life? Maybe our prayer uh, for verses 4 to 6 might look like this. So again, look at your, your passage there. 
and think about how would you pray this? This is what I, I wrote down as an example. Maybe we pray, Lord God, I confess that my sin is against you. What I've done is not good. It's evil in your sight. Lord, I confess that you alone are God and not me. I agree with you that you are the one who determines what is right and wrong. Lord, I want my inner life and my external, my outer life to be consistent, right, and pleasing with you. Okay, now to our fourth point. Confession and cleansing, verses 7 to 9. As we saw in verses 1 to 2, David wrote of wanting God to blot out his transgressions, wash him thoroughly from his iniquity, his guilt, and to cleanse him of his sin. Now again, maybe after he realizes the things he wrote about and uh, after verses 1 and 2, he comes again to God for cleansing for his sin. And you know what? Sometimes we have to come to God more than once regarding forgiveness for our sins. Verse 7 begins this, Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. So Old Testament priests used to use hyssop, which, like a, which is like a leafy plant, and they used that to sprinkle blood and water uh, on a person that's being ceremonially all clean from defilements like leprosy or touching a dead body. And here, hyssop is a figure of uh, speech for David's longing to be spiritually cleansed for, for the things he's done wrong. In forgiveness, God uh, washes, washes away sin. In David's looking uh, that for himself. David wanted to hear, like the, the Old Testament priest would sprinkle the, the person with the hyssop, with the water of the blood, and then they would give a pronouncement upon them, you shall be clean. And that's what David is asking here. He wanted God to sprinkle him so that he, he'll, get, he'll receive God's word that you shall be clean. Second part of verse 7 says this, Wash me and I, and I shall be whiter than snow. The metaphor whiter than snow Apply, is applied to clean garments and it sig, signifies forgiveness, cleansing, and new, newness. So white garments signify forgiveness, cleansing, and newness. Verse 8 says this, Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. So David prays for the restoration of joy and gladness. Okay, one commentary uh, states this, Even as God's displeasure with sin brings judgment, metaphorically described as broken bones, so his pleasure brings joy of heart. The joy is more than an emotional response. It is a contented resting in God. The security of having been reconciled with the Lord and of having peace with him is the greatest import. This joy is hence known as the joy of of your salvation. So God's forgiveness brings joy, gladness, and peace. Verse 9 says this, Hide your face from my sins, blot out all, all my iniquities. David asked God to not look at his sins and to blot out his sins, uh, to blot out his sins and his guilt, to remove them completely. David wants them to be removed completely. God, uh, David wants God to see him without sins. So maybe our prayer for verses 7 to 9 might look like this. Okay, Father God, I ask you to purify me, purify me, wash me, and cleanse me of these sins. I want my relationship with you to be restored. I want to renew again my relationship with you. Thank you that because of your forgiveness, I can again know your joy, 
gladness and peace. Lord, I don't want I don't want you to look at me with my sins, but now with my confession, I thank you that I'm forgiven and cleansed by you. So this section, this prayer, it's like saying, I don't want to live in this side. I don't want to live in the flesh and the sinful nature that I want to come to the cross, uh, confess and repent, seek God's change in my life, and then come to live in line with the, walking with the Spirit and, and according to the Spirit who's been given to us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. When I think of confession and sins and cleansing from God, I think of 1 John 1, nine. Okay, that was mentioned earlier, but let me just say, say that again. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, point five. Renewing our relationship with God, verses t- 10 through 12. Renewing our relationship with God, verses 10 through 12. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I pray and ask God for forgiveness of my sins, and when I, sometimes when I pray 1 John 1, 9, I would usually just end it there. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. And then, amen, I'm done. That's good. In the sense that, yeah, we need to confess our sins before God and receive his forgiveness. But it shouldn't end there, Okay. If we think about, again, the main point, um, for those of you that have the app, it's in the main point there. The main point, again, is a confession prayer doesn't end with confession and forgiveness. It includes a desire to be changed by God and continues with renewal. So having a desire to be changed by God, to be more like Him, our desire would be to be more like Him in our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words. Uh, wanting, to, wanting the Lord to work in these areas, areas of our lives where we fall short. It's wanting a heart and living a life that is right with God. It's living, again, on this side in, in line with the Spirit of God, according to the Spirit of God. So after confession and cleansing, David prays. It says he sings for spiritual renewal. He wants a renewal inwardly so that all he does, his actions, thoughts, and attitudes, will flow from God's presence in his life and God working in his life. Okay, verse 10 says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Very well-known, famous verse from Psalm 51. The songs that you might have heard based on this uh, verse. Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. David doesn't just come to God to confess his sins and ask for forgiveness. He asks to be changed by God, and to be, to be renewed by God. So after confession and forgiveness, again, it doesn't end there. We come and ask God for an inner change and his work in our lives, a work that will transform our inner, that will change our inner attitude, that will create in a clean heart, that will create in us a clean heart and a firm, unwavering spirit that we can walk uh, with the Lord with. So David knows that God's inner work in his life is what is needed uh, to, to keep him growing in his relationship with God. Okay, verses 11 and 12 say this. <clears throat> do not cast me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. It's like David is saying this. He's, it's like he's saying, Lord, I don't like living separated from you. I want you I want to have, again, that joy of living life together with you. Lord, to do that, help me to delight in doing your will 
and not mine. I don't know if you've ever been away from the Lord before for a season, but if you've been away from the Lord, hopefully there will come a time, just like with the prodigal son, where we come to our senses um, and, and we'll have that feeling, Lord, I don't like living separated from you. I want to be back with you. There's a time in my life when that happened and, and that, that, that yearning inside of me, Lord, being away from you, it doesn't feel good. I don't like this life I'm living. Lord, help me to come back to you. So if you ever had a prodigal experience like that, the Lord's working in your life if he's saying he wants you to come back to him. He wants you to come back to him. He's waiting for you to come back to him. You know, I have heart for prodigal because I was a prodigal too. And the Lord wants us to come back. He's welcoming us back. He's welcoming us. He wants us to come back to be in relationship with him. So hopefully, as we're living our lives and we think we're doing our own thing, living on this side of our lives, in the flesh, in our sinful nature, hopefully it's going to be like, this is lousy. I don't like this. I remember what it's like living here. Or I want what you have, God. I want to come back to you, God. So maybe our prayer for verses 10 through 12 will be this. Lord God, I don't just want to pray a prayer for forgiveness and stop there and then fall back into sin again. Lord, I need a mighty work of your spirit to change me and to be more the person you want me to be. Help me, Lord God, to have a heart that is right before you. I need your spirit to help me continue to seek, uh, to seek after you and to want to do your will. Lord, I want to have the joy of being in relationship with you again. Okay, point six. Thanksgiving, praise, and purpose. Verses 13 through 15. I'm going to read those uh, verses together. Verses 13 through 16. Thanksgiving, praise, and purpose. Okay, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O Lord, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Verse uh, 15. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. In verses 13 to 15, as David receives forgiveness even for the murder and bloodshed that he caused for Uriah, as God changes David's life and he's uh, restored to his relationship with God, David's response is twofold. Okay, one, he wants to tell others about God's mercy and forgiveness that he received in his own life so that they will come to know the Lord as well. You know, maybe when you're a prodigal, sometimes you think, will God receive me back? Will the people receive me back that, that are at church again? And the enemy would try to lie to us and say, nah, God hates you. The people hate you. They don't want you back. God doesn't want you back. That's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the enemy, as we, as we talked about earlier. But David, if you think about the sins he committed, if you think about the sins we committed, God's mercy and grace upon us, God wants us to tell others of the mercy and grace. God welcomes us back as God, as the prodigal son story in Luke 15, the father welcomed back the prodigal. God welcomes us back. I know, God welcomed me back. People welcome me back. And, you know, I, I pray that we will be a church that welcomes people back who've been away from the Lord. And that if we ever fall in that place by our, in, our, in our own lives, that we'll come to our senses too and we'll know we can come back to the Lord. We can come back to Evergreen SGV. I'll be welcomed back by God. I'll be wa- welcomed back by the f- church family here. But one of the things, hopefully, as we see God working in our lives, as we 
understand his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace in our lives, that we all want to tell others about the Lord as well. And the second thing David wanted to say, uh, wanted to do, um, to joyfully sing and give praise to God. You know, certain songs um, mean a lot when you know the Lord, when you know the Lord's forgiveness, his mercy and grace in our lives. So our prayer for verses 13 to 15 might be this. Father God, as I have received your forgiveness for the sins that I've confessed to you, I lift up my thanks and praise to you. I want to even sing songs of praise to you, Lord. Lord, help me to tell others of your goodness and mercy so that they will also come to know you. Okay, in our seventh point. Living in a renewed relationship with God. Living in a renewed relationship with God. Verses 16 and 17. Verse 16 says this, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. Verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A broken spirit is a, is a heart that is grieving over sin. A contrite heart, similarly, is a heart that is sincerely remorseful over sin. One person put it this way, it is a heart attitude that counts. Sacrifices are meaningful. Sacrifices are meaningful and helpful only if they are offered with genuine repentance, commitment, and love. Let me read that again. Heart, uh, it's the heart attitude that counts. Sacrifices are meaningful and helpful only if they're offered with genuine repentance, commitment, and love. So maybe for verses 16 and 17, our prayer to God might be this. Again, look at verse 16 and 17 in your Bibles. Father God, I understand that you don't want me to just go through the motions with you, to do external spiritual actions, yet having a heart that is not genuine and sincere in my relationship with you. I know that is not pleasing to you. Help me to see sin as you see it and to grieve over my sin and be remorseful over sin. If I do that, then I can come to you, my gracious, compassionate, and loving God, and receive your forgiveness. I want to come to you, Lord, inwardly and outwardly in a way that is pleasing to you. So this prayer of confession in Psalm 51 is more than just turning to God and confessing our sins, as important as that is. But again, the main point, a confession prayer doesn't end with confession and forgiveness. It includes a desire to be changed by God and continues with repentance. So in Psalm 51, we can see that this is a song, a prayer guide that doesn't end with confession and forgiveness. It includes a desire to be changed by God. It ends with a renewed relationship with God and, desire, and a desire to live his way. It includes praising the Lord and telling others how God has worked in our lives as well. So we're not living in the flesh, like on this side. We're coming to the cross, but we're, we're trying to live on this right side in relationship with God. We're trying to live uh, through having a constant, continual, ongoing, moment by moment, always aware, all the time, staying connected to Jesus, walking with the Holy Spirit, and whatever, whatever other words that mean, all the time and always aware of God's presence in our lives, trying to live again in line with the Spirit. So in our sermon series, Counseling the Word, Gospel Truths for the Journey of Faith, what truths do we take away from the Word of God 
uh, today. Okay, for one, we can remember Psalm, uh, we can remember Romans 8, 5 as a reminder in our prayer to not live by the flesh, like on this side, not to live in our sinful nature, but we come to Jesus on the cross, we come to him on the cross confessing our sins, having the Holy Spirit work in our lives uh, to change us, to be the person that God desires us to be. And with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we try to live lives according to the Spirit, like on this side. Not according to the flesh, come to Jesus through the cross, living by the Spirit, living according to the Spirit with his help. We can also, so remember, we could, we could remember Romans 8, 5, but we can also pray through Psalm 51 and use the verses in Psalm 51 as a prayer guide for our prayer of confession, for our prayer for change and how we live our lives, and as a prayer to continue, uh, for our desire to continue growing in our restored, renewed relationship with the Lord. I pray that we can look at Psalm 51 and, and use it as that prayer guide. Use your words. You, know, you heard my words as you went through it. Go through it. Think about it. Use your own words as you read those passages. Put your words as far as your heart to God's heart of what you want to say to him through that passage. Okay, please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for, Lord, for just being who you are, a loving, merciful God, a God who grants us forgiveness. Lord, that no matter what we've done, we can come to you. Lord, even for some of us, even after we've confessed our faith in you, we walk with you, we've known you for a while, maybe we walked away for a while, Lord, you welcome us back. Lord, I pray that we'll, we'll always know that you desire to have that restored, renewed relationship with us. Lord, thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you desire to change us. Lord, thank you that we don't have to just try to change on our own. We have to be willing to have that desire. But thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the one that can do that change in our lives. You can do miraculous works in our lives to move us to, to become the, the men and women of God that you desire us to be. Lord, I pray that our heart's desire will be to live for you, that our hearts will be ones who, that our lives will be ones that glorify you, that through the ways we've seen you work in our lives, Lord, open our eyes to the ways you worked in our lives so that we can um, tell others about you. They'll see in our lives, too, that you are real, that you do wonders and miracles, that you forgive, that you love, and that you, you change people to, to be the people of God that you desire them to be. Help us to be that way, Lord. Help us to be your people. We thank you again for this uh, psalm. We thank you for Romans 8 as well. Lord, I pray that you will help us to use the words, in, use your words from your word to counsel us, to teach us your truth, to help us walk in your truth all our days, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.